the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. The worst place when you're in a place of desperation is just to sit and do nothing. Because all that feeds is the constant desperation and the emotion of the whole thing. Like, get up. It's, it might be hard. And, I, and I'm not pretending to walk in some of the shoes that some of you have walked in. But I am saying when you look at what happened here, like there's something to be said of just don't keep lying prostrate on the ground. Like, get up and do something. Go take a walk, take a drive, like move. Even though we are Christians and we're born again into a life of joy with the Father, that doesn't mean we won't have trials. Often as followers of Christ, we get attacked even more. And our mind, heart, and soul are the things being attacked viciously. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you to stay active physically, mentally, and spiritually in the midst of those battles. We can't just sit by and let the devil get a foothold in our lives. We must be actively fighting against that and seeking God in those tests. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 29 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Verse 7 says, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. Now remember what the ephod was. Ephod was a priestly vestment. And in the priestly vestment, there were stones. One stone they thought was either painted white and one was painted black. And one, meant, one was called the Urim, one was called the Tumim. One meant yes, one meant no. That was the best they could tap into the understanding of God's will. Now we have the Holy Spirit. So now, and we have the word of God that we can understand his will. But in that day, that's about all they had. And so David, the first thing he says was, Bring me the ephod. Why? Because he wants to inquire of the Lord. Abiathar brought the ephod to David, verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord. That's the first thing. He turned to the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, the Lord answered, pursue them. So he obviously pulled out the yes stone, pursue for you shall surely overtake them without fail, recover all. So just these two things that are important. He inquired of the Lord and he acted instead of being passive. And, and here's why this is important. First thing is he turns to the Lord. He realizes I can't turn to all my friends. They're ready to stone me. I can't find another human being who's going to be able to empathize with everything I'm feeling right now and the loneliness and the desperation. So I, I have to get along with God. First thing he does is priest, bring me the ephod. I got to inquire of the Lord. 
And that's, a, that's critical when we're going through something that no one else can really understand, whatever that deep thing is, that dark place in your life, and, or the loss, or the grief, or whatever it might be. It's like, get alone with the Lord. Fall on your face. Some of you understand this. You've been in places that you can relate to this when it talks about how they wept until they had no more strength. You know what it is to be on your face on the carpet of your bedroom just soaking the carpet because there's just no words to describe the intensity of the grief or the emotion that you're feeling. And these are grown men who are warriors, and yet they're so so desperate and they're so grieved that these guys are just crying until they're at a place of complete exhaustion. And David is like, God, I have to seek you. I have to know from you what to do because I don't know what to do. And so the first thing is he inquires of the Lord. And then I like the second part here where he says, what should I do? And God says, go ahead and pursue them. Because it speaks to us. The worst place when you're in a place of desperation is just to sit and do nothing. Because all that feeds is the constant desperation and the emotion of the whole thing. Like, get up. It's, it might be hard. And, I, and I'm not pretending to walk in some of the shoes that some of you have walked in. But I am saying when you look at what happened here, like there's something to be said of just don't keep lying prostrate on the ground. Like get up and do something. Go take a walk. Take a drive. Like move. Like don't, don't just stay there. In that, in that place, because it will eat you alive. And so David's like, you want me to do something? Tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. And whatever the Lord tells us to do, we better do. Uh, because it's not good to stay stuck where we are. And so God says to him, I want you to pursue him, overtake him. And so verse, verse 9, so David went, and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. So out of the 600 guys who were in his army, 200 of them were like, I, we just can't go on. We're so depleted. And so they st- 200 stayed behind. Verse 11, then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And so when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. And then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. Okay, so now David's going to get intel on where the Amalekites are. This is obviously a God-directed moment. And the Egyptian guy keeps saying, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an an invasion of the southern area of the Ketherites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Okay, now David knows, okay, now this guy knows exactly what went down. He's going to know where they are. And so David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? And so he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And so here they are. They're eating, they're drinking, they're dancing. Obviously, they're not Baptists. And uh, they... uh, (laughs) 
And, but, you know, these Amalekites, they're just partying and they're just enjoying the spoils here in verse 17. And then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. And so David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. So in other words, God gave David even more than what he had lost. God is merciful. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David, that's just an expression because the 600 guys, well, the 400 who went with him, all of them were just a ragtag bunch. And so that's just a statement about these guys were just a ragtag bunch, worthless men of those who went with David, answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. So you you see what's happening here. Like They've had victory. They've recovered everything. They're heading back. And David had gone with 400. 200 were too weak to travel and too distressed. When they meet up, the 400 said to the 200, we're not giving you anything. We're going to give you your wives and your kids, but you ain't touching any of the plunder because you guys didn't fight with us. But look at what David says here. Verse 21, but David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. And so it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So that's smart. You know, David realizes, look, you know, these guys, they were too weary to fight, but at least they stayed with the supplies. They guarded those. And so not everybody can go to battle. We're going to have to realize that some people have to stay back and defend what we're leaving. And so they're going to get equal shares. And so it says, now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah to his friends saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord to those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jatir, those who were in Aror. Those who were in Sifmoth, those who were near in Eshtemoah, those who were in Rakal, and those who were in the cities of the Jeremielites, those who were in the cities of the Kenites, and those who were in Hormah, those who were in Korashan, those who were in Athach, those who were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. Here, here's what David is doing. He's a smart guy. First, he goes, everybody among my 600, you're going to get equal share of the spoils, But on top of it, he sends back to his friends in the territory of Judah, to the Israelites, in these various towns, gifts from the spoil, from the plunder. Why? Because David knows that by his decision to go down to Philistine territory, he has naturally alienated himself from his fellow Israelites. And so David, you know, A kind word turns away wrath. Well, so does a nice gift. 
And so he gives them gifts. He sends them gifts to help restore the friendship because he realizes they don't like that I've come down here to Philistine territory, so I'm going to give them some gifts, and maybe that will help to uh, rebuild the strained relationship to what it once was. Chapter 31. This is a sad chapter, but here we go. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Then therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. And so Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And this is the end of Saul. This is how he dies. Just as Samuel had prophesied, by the way. It's sad here on many levels, okay? But just to point out two little things going on here. One was David lost his best friend, Jonathan. Saul's son, Jonathan, was literally David's very best friend. And I looked back, when I got to this chapter, I looked back to see when was the last time David saw Jonathan and what was their conversation like. And it was all the way back in chapter 23. Now, you don't need, you don't need to turn there. You can if you want to. But the last time that David saw his friend, Jonathan encouraged him. Because David was on the run from Saul and, Saul, and so David and Jonathan had a meeting place in the wilderness of Ziph where um, they had this final conversation. Now, they didn't know it would be their final conversation, but it turns out it was their final conversation because Jonathan dies here in this battle with the Philistines on Mount Geboa. And Jonathan's last words to David back in chapter 23, verse 17, he said to David, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. That's true. You shall be king over Israel. That part also will be true. And I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. And that part will not be true. Jonathan will never co-reign or in some way support David's reign as king because Jonathan dies here in this battle with the Philistines. But David also lost someone that he at one time respected. Saul was king and David respected him. When Saul was tormented by this demonic spirit, uh, David was the one who was selected to bring his harp into the palace and play music to help ease the depression that Saul was going through. And at one time, there was this somewhat closeness. I think David, you know, saw him as a man who obviously... Samuel had anointed Saul as king. David respected him. Even though there were two opportunities David had to kill Saul, he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. 
And even though Saul was a man who who turned on David and wanted to literally kill David and tried to kill David, David still maintained this understanding that until God's done with him, I'm going to respect him, even though he's not living a very respectable life. So David had this respect for him. David, it was ultimately respect for the Lord uh, who had selected Saul for this time. And, you know, Saul was the guy who, originally when David was ready to fight Goliath, Saul was like, here, take my armor. And, and Saul was a young kid and tried the armor on and said, no, 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 this is too cumbersome. It fits you. I'm just a little boy. And so, you know, but, but they had that kind of a relationship early on. And now he's dead too. The last, I, I looked back at the last conversation that Saul had with David, and it was also in the wilderness as if it's chapter 26. And... It was one of the opportunities when David snuck into the camp where Saul was, and David had the opportunity to kill him, but he didn't. And then the next morning, from a distance, David basically says to Saul, I had the opportunity to kill you, but I didn't. And Saul's last words to him at the end of chapter 26, verse 25, and then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, my son David, you shall both do great things and also still prevail. So I was like, I, I know God's hands on your life, and you're a bigger man than I am. You could have killed me, not once, but twice, and I know God's going to use you one day. You will prevail. That's the last thing that Saul says to him. This is a sad chapter, because Saul and his sons are now dead, and what's Interesting, and we're not going to get into it, but it appears that there is a, there's an epilogue in 2 Samuel chapter 1 that fills in some of the details of Saul's death. And it appears, and I'm just summarizing the next chapter of 2 Samuel chapter 1, it appears that when Saul threw himself on his sword, uh, it wasn't fatal, that he severely injured himself, but he didn't kill himself. The armor bearer apparently kills himself, but it seems, it appears that Saul is in the throes of death, and he's lying there, but he didn't really successfully kill himself, because in, in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, it says that an Amalekite comes to David with the crown of King Saul, a young Amalekite, and he says, I killed King Saul. I killed him. And he tells this story about how he saw Saul in the throes of death, but he wasn't really dead. He says, I went over and Saul asked me to finish him off and I finished him off. And for that, David kills this guy. But I point this out because when you look at how the Amalekites attacked Ziklag and all of that mess, and then an Amalekite is the one at the end of the day who kills King Saul. Boy, it's a reminder. I've shared this principle from a previous chapter here, but it's worth repeating. What you don't kill could end up killing you. And that's, that's 2 Samuel chapter 1, which we'll get into another time. But that's what ends up happening. It's an Amalekite. Saul was supposed to kill the Amalekites. The Amalekites ransacked Ziklag. And an Amalekite, at the end of the day, is the one who kills King Saul. King Saul was supposed to kill all the Amalekites. But he didn't. And so what he didn't kill ended up killing him. There are things in our lives, if we don't, if we don't take up our cross and die to ourselves daily... There are things that could end up killing us. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them, 
And so it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor. You know, they're just desecrating his body here to to prove a point. And sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. And then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths, that's their false gods, and they fastened his body to the wall of Beit Shan. A tal in ancient Israel is a, a hill that is built because civilizations build on top of civilizations on the same city, on the same town. This hill is, is considered an ancient tell. That's where the original city of Beit Shan was. It's just the civilizations have built upon it. So forget the Roman ruins because the period that we're reading about is when Beit Shan was somewhere along that tell. So if an archaeologist were to take that hill like a pie or a cake, let's say cake, that makes a better illustration because you've got to have layered cakes, and take a, like a sliver of a piece of cake, you would see different levels of the civilizations, different layers. So that's ancient Beit Shan. And somewhere... On that hill, at one time, there was a wall. And on that wall, fortifying, you know, protecting the city of Bechan, the Philistines hung the decapitated body of Saul and his sons. And they did it to, like, trophies. They're, hang, they're literally hanging their headless bodies on the wall as a victory statement. We have killed the king of Israel, and we have been victorious. And so verse 11 says, now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, these are the Israelites, these are the people of another town, but these are Israelites of the town of Jabesh Gilead. When they heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men, bless their hearts, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted for seven days. And so they basically snuck in and took the bodies down and said, you you will not mock our previous king and his sons, and we will take the bodies. They snuck in, they took the bodies down, they took them back to Jabesh Gilead, they burned them, and they gave them a proper burial. Now, I'm going to close with this because this, this passage answers the question. A lot of people ask me constantly, is cremation okay in the Bible? And there are some people who are completely opposed to cremation. That's fine if that's your conviction. But here's an example of when they cremated Saul and his, and his bodies. And God doesn't speak out against this. So that becomes a personal choice. Here's basically a point that I'll leave you with the last point from chapter 31. We all return to dust, friends. Cremation is just faster than natural decomposition. Okay? To be exact, natural decomposition takes about two decades. Cremation at 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit takes about two hours. It's two decades or two hours. You're going back to dust. So it really is a personal decision. I tell people all the time, like, that's a personal decision. But this is an example in the Bible where Saul and his sons were cremated. It's not a sin because you're going to return to dust anyway. It's just as a matter of whether you speed up the process or let it happen naturally. This is how it all ends. 
It's sad. It's a sad chapter. But David now is going to wrestle in uh, with the people in terms of their initial acceptance of him as king. Not everybody in Israel accepts him as king. Not the whole territory. But he will start to step into his role. And so there's much in 2 Samuel that we'll get to uh, soon enough. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.